How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? And boom goes the dynamite. I don't know what we're yelling about! I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Time for episode 16 of the Idaho Sports Prepcast, presented by Project Filter. This week, I'm joined by IdahoSports.com Sport Information Director Matt Harris. And Matt, we're going to talk about college commitments today, uh, the IHSA approving RPI use in the 3A classification, the shot clock. Going to jump all over the board and talk about a lot of interesting things. Should be a fun time. Let's get to it, man. First off, we want to highlight these commitments for colleges, and this is going to take a while for the list. In fact, the list that I sent you earlier, Matt, I've added about seven or eight names to it just today. <laughs> wow. So it's well, gonna... hey, that's, good. that's good news. That's good news. That means that uh, kids in Idaho are being noticed for their, their athletic abilities. Apparently, there are a lot of talented kids, and uh, we knew this all along, but my word. So let's just go top to bottom here, and uh, if you want to jump in and talk about any of these players, by all means, Matt, as uh, we'll start with Troy Patterson of CUNA, basketball player. He's going to Benedictine University, Mesa. Jack Molesworth of Boise, football at the College of Idaho. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of College of Idaho representation on this. I've been impressed with how well they've recruited the state of Idaho. I think they've made it a point to recruit the state of Idaho. I think they know of the talent that is here in the state, and they want to make sure sure that uh, they have that talent and that the talent stays in state a couple other college of idaho ones ed osterberger of timberline he's going to play football and lacrosse at the college of idaho let me just jump around here is i got the list in a in a weird order now because all these college of idaho ones came in uh, today tyson matthews of declo lineman college of idaho grant roberts nampa College of Idaho. So those are all the College of Idaho ones. Uh, and then you look, Jake O'Neill, golf from Fruitland. He's heading to Boise State. Dane Cook and Caden Clark, the quarterback wide receiver duo from Centennial. They're playing football at Idaho State. Shakela Morgan, Blackfoot, going to run cross country at the College of Southern Idaho. And Will McGahey of Skyview. Committed to Butte College in California. That's actually where Aaron Rodgers started his college career. McGahee's not a quarterback. He's going to play offensive line. But nonetheless, uh, obviously a good place to get your football career started. Uh, you can just say, hey, I played at the same college as Aaron Rodgers. You don't have to say you played at the same time as he did, but you could say you went there. And Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a guy that uh, everybody knows. doesn't matter who it is or how much of a football fan they are because anytime you watch anything there's those state farm commercials it's like chris paul in the nba there's some guys that are just kind of a big deal yeah that's right i mean you just he's just one of those guys you know you see him in the media he's very well known in his obviously in his own sport so i mean hey that's that's good good for him good for uh for uh will mcgahee and i apologize in advance i think i'm going to pronounce this name incorrectly but Kana foray of columbia is signed to wrestle at utah valley university cole shoemaker of bishop kelly gonna play line on both sides of the ball for st john's university couple of gooding senators have signed with rocky mountain college Jaden mullins and anthony novis and hillcrest oakley hussey running back wide receiver has signed with Utah State. You had an opportunity to see Oakley multiple times this year. Uh, that's a pretty cool going all the way to Division One from Hillcrest. Yeah, it is pretty cool. I think a big thing too, Sven, is that uh, he was being looked at by Utah as well, Pac-12 school, and I think that uh, Oakley felt that Utah State was a better fit for him. Uh, he's a, a, a player who really just lists him as an athlete on the roster because he can be in so many different positions. You know, he played uh, at wide receiver for the first half of the year, and then when Jordan Neuerberg went down for Hillcrest, he slid right into running the running back position like it was that was his natural position. 
And so he's just one of those Swiss Army knife kind of guys who can do a lot of different things for a football team. And uh, certainly being able to go play for Utah State, who had a fantastic year this last year, uh, will certainly be uh, a nice thing for him and a, nice for Hillcrest football to be able to say that they have players from their program going to these uh, major and bigger programs. And the coolest part about all these signings that we just listed off, we'll continue to do this over the next couple editions of the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter, but uh, there's still a couple of weeks to go before signing day, so we're just going to continue to see all kinds of names come in. It's kind of fun because you look at it and you say, oh, I remember when they did this. Yeah, it's, it's great to see. And, and, you know, we don't necessarily get the drama of, oh, uh, I'm going to pick this hat and this is the college I'm going to go to kind of a thing. We don't see that here. But when you do see where these kids are going, you're like, wow, we really are blessed to see how much uh, talent we have here in the state that we're able to witness week in and week out. And we kind of like to see talent as well in the coaching ranks and where they end up going. Well, former Snake River girls basketball and baseball coach Rich Dunn is returning to his baseball position after a two-year hiatus. Dunn led the Panthers to a state title in the 2013 season. Obviously, you know, myself and you, Matt, our main experience with uh, Coach Dunn has been for girls basketball for Snake River. But uh, what a just nice guy in general and uh, look forward to having him back in the dugout there at Snake River for baseball this year. Rich Dunn is a super cool guy. We, we love Coach Dunn. Uh, and every interaction I've had with him has been great. Um, even with, since in the couple times I've seen him since he stepped down uh, from being a, a, a baseball and girls basketball coach, still always fun to talk to and so uh, congratulations to him on uh, retaking that position and uh, we'll see what the what he can do with the program i'll never forget when i first came to idaho snake river uh, it might have been like the first or second place that i actually went to as far as broadcast for idahosports.com and ed jackson the principal at the time and multiple other people they'd always come up and they'd say how do we buy the dvds of today's game or uh, what can i get you as far as food or drink or i mean anything they just rolled out the red carpet completely and that's part of the fun of you know getting around and meeting these people i didn't even know rich dunn was a baseball coach at snake river uh, until i saw this so moral of the story is you don't always know the full story but it is fun to at least uh, get a glimpse into the people that make communities uh, so positive experiences for these kids you know in schools and things of that nature and rich dunn is obviously a positive influence in stake river no doubt about it and i think that uh, he'll have a positive influence on the baseball program once again and i'm sure they're looking forward to having him uh back being the skip and speaking of positive influences shoshone girls basketball coach tim chapman he won his 500th game with a 42-27 victory over Murtaugh last week, which capped off a 19-1 regular season for the Indians, who enter the district tournament as the number one seed. The heavy favorites there, Shoshone, you know, under Coach Chapman, he's really got them right in the mix for a 1A D1 state title this year. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if District 4 can knock off the White Pine League for back-to-back years after Oakley won it last year. Well, you know, it's uh, you don't. First of all, you don't win 500 games without knowing what you're doing. So, kudos to Coach Chapman for what he's been able to do in his coaching career. And uh, I, I mean, year in and year out, his teams are good, and he develops players, and he he coaches them in a way that they can play together as a cohesive unit. And you know, Shoshone they've bounced around in the rankings this year, but I feel like if there's a year where they could, you know, pull off the back-to-back upset of you know District Four upsetting District Two in the White Pine League. Because, I mean, clearly, you know, Lapway and Prairie and Shoshone, those are the kind of teams that I think a lot of people think, yeah, you're, you're probably the favorites heading into this one. I think that there's a, a year to do that. This is definitely the year, certainly. So uh, that 1A Division I 
uh, girls' state basketball tournament. It's going to be very interesting to see how it all unfolds. And Bailey Owens and Sierra Hennings are the leaders for the Shoshone Indians. And uh, speaking of the White Pine League, we'll actually have district tournament action broadcast live and free on IdahoSports.com on Friday night from Lewis Clark State College as Prairie and Lapway. They're locked into the semifinals, and most likely, just looking at it, kind of looks like they'll uh, be a matchup of Prairie Troy and Lapway Genesee again. Uh, there's some earlier games in that district tournament that'll decide it, but that should be fun as both of those games are winner-to-state games. Well, you know, girls basketball, a big topic this week. Uh, Matt has gone through and added the girls' district tournament brackets to the website, so you can go to the idahosports.com homepage, click, click, uh, click the graphic, and then just choose which part of the state you want to see uh, as far as district tournaments, we're the only place that's got all of them, Matt. Uh, lots of work put into that, but uh, it's all worth it with the uh, ability to have it all in one place, I think. Well, originally, the, the, the reason that I started doing it was just so I could keep it straight as to where which, what, what game is when and which teams are playing, because, you know, I put in the schedules and the scores, you know, during district tournaments and whatnot. It, it just became, it got to the point, I'm like, well, if I can have it for myself, why not share it with everyone else so everyone else around the state can keep up with what's going on and um, I think it's been really, really nice to have. It kind of helps us to plan things. It helps fans to plan things. Hopefully I've got all the information on there correct. I've had to change a, a few minor details in there, just some very small stuff. But, uh, you know, we do it so that we, the fans can have it, the kids can see it, the coaches can see what's happening. It just allows everyone to plan and to see what is happening around the state, any potential scenarios heading into the state tournament. Uh, it's, it, I, I won't lie to you, it does take some time, but it's worth it. And part of the thing I really like about this, and I think you'll agree, is when you go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is, and you see the district tournaments being shared by school pages, and you can see the Idaho sports brackets all over the place. I mean, hopefully it helps get more people into the gym, just awareness of actually seeing a bracket in front of their face. So I think that's a a pretty cool thing. Again, our guest on the phone line is Matt Harris, the Sport Information Director here of IdahoSports.com. And uh, Matt is the perfect guy to talk to us about the next thing on our agenda here on the Idaho Sports Prepcast today. And that's the Idaho High School Activities Association approving on a final reading the state football representation for the next school year. That includes the use of the RPI to seed the 3A classification, which joins 2A as Idaho classifications to use that system. Boy, that makes it now so that one-third of the classifications for Idaho football are using this system. I think it's only a matter of time before it becomes a 100% every classification kind of thing, Matt. I'd agree with you on that, Sven, and I think that the IHSAA is, is thinking the same way as well. They just kind of want to take it slow at this point. I know that there's been some proposals pushed forth to have RPI implemented uh, in all sports, uh, and it, as soon as possible. And the IHSA has said, no, we want to take this a little bit slower here. We want to make sure that um, we're taking it step by step and everyone's in agreement with it. But, you know, moving in, uh, forward for the 3A classification, I think, is great. Um, the 2As had a lot of success with it this year. You really did get the four best teams into these state semifinals, where in previous years, you know, one side of the bracket would be heavy with the top seeded teams just based on, you know, rankings or on media polls or coaches' polls or whatever. Uh, but moving forward for 3A, being able to do that, I know a lot of coaches wanted to have that. A majority of 3A coaches did. There were some 3A coaches that did not want that, and that's natural. There's always uh, opposition in all things. There's always some pushback with things. Uh, but I do believe that this will be very beneficial moving forehand, uh, forward because it makes the regular season just so much more important as opposed to just conference play. It basically says you've got to be ready to go 
right from the outset, right from the start of the year. It puts more emphasis in practice. It puts more emphasis overall on your entire scope of things, your entire schedule. And I think that's uh, what a lot of 3A teams were thinking uh, in the sense of, well, we do that, and then it's easier for us to seed the bracket as opposed to having the predetermined bracket where in many years you would see lopsidedness on the bracket. You just see, you know, top-heavy teams or bottom-heavy or whatever it may be. I think it's going to be a good change, Sven. Yeah, and I think that you mentioned the 2A classification and how it worked this year. There's really no argument with how 2A went this year because the four teams that were in the semifinals were all undefeated, and you mentioned in the past that's not something we would have seen happen. It would have been Grangeville probably taking on another undefeated team in the quarterfinals, which as a result of that, you would have eliminated an undefeated team. So it was a completely different look in that regard. And, you know, just to give a picture uh, to the people listening here, the way that it's going to work in the 3A classification is that all conference champions will get a bye the first round, and then five district champions and three play-in game winners will then compete in the quarterfinals. So Idaho RPI will be used to see the uh, top eight teams in the quarters uh, but before that, kind of interesting, playing round matchups are going to take place, and there's three of them. It'll be 3C at 4B, 6B at 1B, and 3B at 5B. So basically a bunch of second and third place teams playing off against each other in the playing round. And then just like it was this year in the 2A classification, um, they move the eight teams into the next round, the quarterfinals, and they seed them. The team that is a higher seed is going to host. So you know that that's kind of how that works there for that particular round of the quarterfinals. Yeah, and it should be good uh, the way that they have it set up. And they have it defined specifically as to what they're going to do for those play-in rounds, and um, obviously those play-in rounds, kind of, they, they try to make it as regional as possible, of course, with the way that it's structured in 3A, with there, no being, there being no 3A schools in District 2, it's going to be a little bit more, one team's going to have to travel relatively far, um, and that in this case it'll be uh, the second-place team from District 6 having to travel northward to the IML to play. Uh, but it, the, the, the general idea of it is let's try to get it in a way that we have regionality in the first play-in rounds, so that for when you move forward from the quarterfinals on, I mean, you basically let the chips fall as they may, and you play wherever you wherever you go. So I think the way that they have it set up works well, especially since they were able to get all five conference champions a bye into the quarterfinals. Now, some coaches look at that bye and say, I don't want that bye because it takes away a week of continuity from us, whereas other coaches are saying, no, that bye is great. It gives us a chance to rest and, and maybe get some kids off of the injured list and allow them to heal some bumps and bruises and, you know, just kind of just relax a little bit before you get right back into it for the most important game of the year to that point. So, uh, again, uh, I really do think this is going to be a good change. With the way that it went with 2A this year, it was fantastic, and I believe it will do the same thing for 3A this year. Well, perhaps the most interesting thing out of what we've talked about so far, you mentioned the distance between schools. It would not matter what they did. Anybody that's going to travel to District 1 is going to go – uh, you know, a six, seven hour bus ride at a minimum, no matter what, there's just not a good way to do it. And that's kind of the nature of just how this state is designed. You don't normally get a state where it takes, you know, more time to go from Malad to Bonners Ferry than it does to go from Malad to Vegas and cross a couple of states. I mean, it's just a completely bizarre setup as far as the state of Idaho goes, and you're never going to please everybody. So I think Really, as far as it goes, I don't even know why they factor regionality into the whole thing because you cannot please people no matter how you set it up. 
Right, and again, you just try to do the best you can with the cards that you're dealt. I mean, obviously none of us have the power just to go out and say, you know what, we're going to take over half of Montana and just make it a square state. Oh, come on, you you got that power. You got that power, Matt. (laughs) Well, you'd think, I mean, looking at it as an outsider at it, it's like, I mean, you always wonder how, you know, the states got their shapes and stuff like that. But, I mean, in this instance, you just do the best with what you can. And some years, 1B will travel southward. Other years, other schools will go up and play the second-place team out of the IML. It's just going to – it'll probably alternate every single year, and that's just the way that it goes. And you just, you just draw it up and you let the chips fall where they may, and I think they've done a, a pretty good job of trying to make it as fair as possible from the get-go, and I'm excited to see what happens uh, heading into the new football season. Yeah, whoever drew up the state of Idaho initially, they are definitely fired from their map-making <laughs> duties. They will not... I think they're, I think, yeah, I think they're, they're probably dead. At, I think they're probably dead at this point, but, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, so, so if that hasn't happened yet, they're done anyway. So one way or another, <laughs> uh, process of elimination will end that one. So, uh, you know, the brackets, we talked about 2A and 3A. That's the obvious interesting ones just based on changes that have happened. But another thing that stood out to me was all the way down in... Uh, the 1A Division II classification, uh, they play a bunch of first-round play-in games. Only one team gets a bye, and it's kind of interesting. It's the champion out of District 1, which finally has an opportunity to get an automatic berth to state. In the past, they've been combined with District 2, and we haven't seen a District 1 team make the state playoffs in absolute ever, so that's going to change this next year. And for schools like Clark Fork, Kootenai, Mullen, etc., it gives them a much better shot, Matt. It does, and you know, the District 2, well, 1A Division 2 schools have been very, very good for a long, long time. Uh, And uh, there was actually some confusion this last football season because, uh, as we understood it, they weren't sure if they were splitting this year or the next year to get those individual bids. And uh, eventually I had to email Ty Jones at the IHSA and seek clarification because of all the confusion, and he was able to clear it up for me. Um, but heading into this year, it's not, and I think that one of the reasons why they combined in the first place, Sven, was just simply because there were so many schools in District 1 that were, were not on solid footing in terms of participation numbers. You'd have to cancel games and things of that nature. So they thought, well, maybe – if we either combine some programs or we join with a different conference, we'll have a little bit more continuity there. And apparently they feel they're in a good enough position now where they can run their own conference and you know not have to tra- have all those travel expenses traveling to District 2 just for conference games and things of that nature. It'll be really interesting to see how it goes. You know, anytime that you get back to your own conference the way that it's been for a long time, of course, with the North Star League. And um, I, I, think it'll be, I think it'll be a good change for them because, you know, with District 1 schools and 1A Division 2 not having been to the state tournament in a while, that, that can ad- adversely affect your program as well if you don't have a chance to have success on a district or state level. So if you now are basically saying, hey, one of us is going to have some success this year, one of us is going to be able to go to that state tournament, I mean, that's, that's only going to increase the profile of those programs and maybe get more participation, more commitment, and more buy-in. I think it'll be good in the long run. Absolutely. Also, during the IHSA board meeting, the shot clock in Idaho was on the discussion agenda. Coaches from both the 5A, 4A Inland Empire League and the 5A SIC sent letters in stating their interest in bringing the shot clock to Idaho. It was shot down by the board for the third consecutive year and not moved to the action agenda for a future meeting despite the heavy preference amongst coaches in the state to do so. So really that brings up the question of, you know, what's the rationale behind not doing it? What, you know, obviously one of the premier things that they talk about is the cost of it. Um, You know, a couple thousand dollars just off the the top for the actual 
electronics himself. And then you got to staff a $25, $20 a game uh, employee on the sideline as well to operate the scoreboard. Uh, I mean, not the scoreboard, excuse me, the uh, shot clock. But uh, my question is, Matt, because everybody's already had the conversation ad nauseum here uh, about the shot clock, and I think the general consensus is coaches want it, and it seems like administrators want it as well uh, for the most part. Uh, my question to you is what would it take to actually get it on a smaller scale, you know, 4A and 5A, uh, use the shot clock, and the other classifications do not, you know, because the 4A and the 5A schools are the ones that are going to be able to afford it in the first place. You know, Sven, that's a good question, and at this point, I don't know if I have an answer for you. And the reason is, this time around, when it was presented to the board, um, there was a company that apparently had approached the the people that were bringing this forward. I believe John Nettleton from Mountain View was the one who brought this forward. Uh, That's correct. Basically, a company stepped up and said, hey, we'll help pay for these shot clocks. You know, we'll help do it. And I know that money has been an issue Obviously, and I, I get that money is always going to be an issue when it comes to implementing new things, and that's fine. But if a, if a, if a company steps up and says, "Hey, I'll sponsor this, and we'll help, we'll help, you know, cover the cost of this," at what point do you say, "Okay, yeah, we'll accept that," you know? Because the only other thing here is that the IHSAA Idaho gets to sit on a rules committee for the NFHS basketball rules. Uh, once uh, for a period of four years, once every 24 years. That's the way that it works. And Idaho, the IHSA has said they're not willing to give up that seat. And so I guess my question is, if you're only on that committee once every 24 years, I mean, how much, uh, again, this is just my opinion, how much are you really going to change by sitting on that rules committee? I mean, the, I, I read the article in the Idaho Statesman uh, about this, and this is and this is what Valley View head coach Ryan Lundgren said. He said, all they vote on at the NFHS are what color spandex you wear under your jersey and how big is the coach's box. It's pretty meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Adding a shot clock far outweighs our vote on that committee. And it's interesting because other schools, or I should say other states that, are in other, that, that, that have adopted the shot clock, they basically felt the same way. Um, Someone approached Washington about that exact question, saying, "Well, has, has your has it, has your life changed because you haven't been on that committee?" And they basically laughed it off and said, "No, not at all. The, the shot clock has greatly affected it in a positive way." And so, to answer your question, Sven, I'm not sure what it's going to take to be able to get it, even on a, in one classification, uh, let alone two or more. Just because I guess I don't quite understand the continued uh, rationale of what the IHSA is thinking there outside of the money and, you know, wanting to sit on the rules committee. It, it, must, be, it must be something that they really like to do in sitting on the, the rules committee or having a representative or something like that. I don't fully understand it, but to your point, not a, not a lot of other people, a lot of coaches and administrators apparently get the rationale as well. Yeah, and you bring up a lot of good points there. And Beth Holt is currently sitting on that rules committee as a board member for the Idaho High School Activities Association. And Craig Christensen, the athletic director at Post Falls, brought this up during the board meeting. And uh, apparently that is going to expire next year, something of that nature, basically one year left uh, on her term there. And uh, that, he said that was kind of why they were bringing it up right now to have the discussion, because they're going to lose that spot anyways. And then Ty Jones, the executive director, said that they can't actually get back on that for at least a couple of years. So, you know, as far as your spot on that rules committee, they're not going to have it anyways here uh, in a short period of time. So it's kind of an interesting discussion. My thing is, you know, if coaches want it, 
I don't know, at some point it's got to happen in this state because you've seen a lot of other things happen with uh, three officials and you've seen RPI come into the state. I think it's just a matter of time and it's going to take a lot of work by somebody to come together and make it happen. But I do believe uh, there's some coaches that are pretty passionate about it. But on the contrary to that, Matt, uh, you know, they did some research on this and most possessions and basketball high school level, they're not even lasting 20 to 25 seconds anyways. So basically, there's that argument. But then there's the other argument. Well, the reason that the shot clock's important is for when it does matter, such as the end of the game when a team's stalling for two minutes. There are times when it is important. There's no doubt. And, and I'll say that's having played with the high school uh, shot clock, you know, the shot clock in high school. I grew up in southern Alberta, Canada, and we played NCAA rules, and we had a 30-second shot clock. I'll tell you right now, having the shot clock far outweighs anything else you could possibly add to the ball game by any means. And here's why. It creates a pace of play. It makes it so that there is a safeguard in place in case someone does want to try to stall and take the air out of the ball. I mean, even in this last week, I can't tell you how many times I've seen teams at the end of the quarter, you know, minute, minute 10, minute 20 left, they just try to pass the ball around. Uh, and, uh, you know, take the air out of the ball and try to get the last shot. In my, and, again, that, that, they're allowed to do that. It is part of the rules. They are just taking advantage of the rules as they are currently constructed. But in my own personal opinion, if you had a shot clock, it forces you to play basketball. And I wrote an article about this last year about some things I would change in terms of high school basketball rules if I were the basketball rules editor. And the, the, one of the ones I wrote about was implementing a 30-second shot clock. And you hear teams that say, well, if you want the ball back, play better defense. Well, I flip that around saying, well, if you want to score, then play better offense. It shouldn't be up to my defense for, to, uh, to have to go up and try to get a five-second closely guarded violation just because you can't simply run your offense. You know, If you can't run your offense within 30 seconds, you don't deserve to score. That's what my high school basketball coach used to tell me. I used to tell us as a team. And uh, it's just one of those things where – I mean, I, a lot of people say, well, you don't need it. You don't need it. No, trust me, you need it. Why does college have it? Why does the NBA have it? Why do high school associations in some states around the United States have it? Why do high school uh, rules have it in other countries as well? Why? Because it works. Because it's important. Because it's an innovation to the game. It adds an element of strategy to the game. And I think we're doing ourselves a disservice here just by discarding it because of a couple of small concerns. And that's what I honestly consider it to be, small concerns. If you have someone who steps up and says, hey, I'm willing to pay for this, I'm willing to be a sponsor of this shot clock uh, and, and take out the main cost for it, I mean, I don't see why you wouldn't do that because uh, it's, it's one of those things that's going to add to the quality of the game in the long run. And you know the saying, if you, want, you need to spend money to make money? It's kind of the same situation here. If you want to improve the product, you want to get more fans to the games, you want to have a more exciting product, you want the kids to improve and the coaching and, 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 the, and the elements of strategy to improve, you have to spend a little money to, get a little, to, get, to make money. And that's kind of the same thing. You have to spend money on a shot clock to increase the level of play, increase the, the number of people who want to attend games and things of that nature. I mean, you can tell I'm pretty passionate about it because I grew up with it and I know what it can do. I'm just not sure that everyone fully understands that. So Matt Harris, the uh, advocate for the shot clock there, our guest on the Idaho Sports PrepCast, 
presented by Project Filter. Well, we're going to take a break and come back and talk Idaho sports coming up this week, as well as break down our Sven's 10 top 10 list from this week, including the boys and girls basketball performances of the week. Again, that's coming up next year. Episode 16 of the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter. My name's Jerry, and I smoke for 30-plus years. I was elk hunting. My left arm and my left leg started tingling on me. I nearly died, and it was enough to wake me up. You know, being on the top side of the grass is a good alternative to smoking. I still hunt, and now it's getting time where the grandkids are going to start going, and I want to be there for that. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit projectfilter.org. Hey, it's winter, which means you can sit around and wait for spring or get a new Toyota 4 or all-wheel drive and get out and go. No matter if it's skiing, tubing, breaking out the snowmobiles, a great road trip, or just a drive across town, with a Toyota 4 or all-wheel drive, it's sure to be easier. Need more? How about great limited-time savings on your favorite Toyota 4 or all-wheel drive model? It's time to get out and go. Your adventure starts at your local Toyota dealer. Toyota, let's go places. Don't worry, honey. You know how the media sensationalizes everything. Okay, that does it. Squeegers and going home. You play to win the game. I thought that would be big news. You thought what would be big news? Welcome back to segment two of the Idaho Sports Prepcast presented by Project Filter alongside Matt Harris. My name's Sven Elscock. And, uh, you know, Matt, now we want to talk a little bit. Girls District Tournament basketball for much of the state is getting underway this week. We highlighted a little bit earlier, but talk about all the district tournament bracket coverage that we've got on the site. We have every classification, every conference, and we'll have the boys' district tournament brackets hopefully up Monday night, if not Tuesday morning. I want to make sure I get those all online. So the boys' and girls' district tournament brackets all online. Make sure you check them out. So obviously we can't really preview much of the district tournaments as far as matchups because we're not going to know them until – uh, all the brackets are completely set, and they play the first-round games. The ones that really matter are those semifinal games, state play-in type games. Uh, in boys' hoops, however, we do know a lot of the big matchups this week. On Tuesday, Columbia, 12-3 and overall, 8-2 and in the 4 ASIC, looks to maintain first place in the conference. When it takes on Nampa, 11-4, and 8-3 and in the conference, Nampa currently tied for second with CUNA. This one has first place in the conference uh, implications going, and they're calling it the uh, battle for the key to the city and Nampa students can actually get in. If they bring two canned foods, they can get in for two bucks. So pretty good deal there for students. That's a pretty good deal, absolutely. I would take full advantage of that, especially if you're going to win the key to the city. I mean, why not? Especially for a road basketball game. However, Wednesday night, Matt, it's going to be the night of the week for boys hoop, especially in the 5A ranks. Rigby is at Madison. You'll be at that game. I'll be at Rocky Mountain at Bora. And uh, even look further down the list, Eagle at Boise, Mountain View at Capitol, Meridian at Centennial. Uh, They should all be good ones as well, and BK is at CUNA in boys' hoops. So lots of fun matchups there. You never really get those same nights when two top five five matchups in the 5A classification are going on. But, boy, Rigby Madison and Rocky Mountain Bora, that should be a real good time. You can almost think of it almost like in a sense of just a nightly semifinal. You have number two Madison hosting number three Rigby, number one Rocky uh, playing at number four Bora. Uh, plus those other matchups. I mean, there's a ton of good basketball this time of year. This is, and these are huge games as well. It has big implications for district tournament seeding. Uh, so these will be big-time games that you'll want to pay attention to. Another massive 5A game is on the schedule for Thursday as well with a rematch between Post Falls and Coeur d'Alene inside the Vikings' new gym. The last time the teams got together was a 72-60 to win in overtime for Post Falls on their home floor 
as Coeur d'Alene did not score in overtime of that game. Post Falls, the young team, Coeur d'Alene with a little bit more experience. It'll be interesting to see what the Vikings are able to do to try and protect their home floor. Well, not only that, uh, you know, for Coeur d'Alene, if they can get back into this one and they can uh, knock off Post Falls, that will create some interesting scenarios with regards to the way that the uh, district and regional tournament is held for them and who gets to have the higher seed between the two. So there's going to be a lot on the line, certainly. Multiple quality rivalry games also highlight the Friday and Saturday slate, starting with Burley at Minico, South Fremont at Sugar Salem on Friday, and then St. Mary's at Kellogg on Saturday in the brawl for the ball. Other big Saturday games are in the 1A D2 ranks where Rockland plays at Dietrich and non-conference action in Lakeside is at Genesis Prep in league play. I believe you'll be at that South Fremont at Sugar game on Friday on IdahoSports.com. What an atmosphere that always is. Well, the Cold War is always so much fun. I mean, no matter no matter what the what the the level of the teams are playing at or their ranking or whatever it may be, that game is always so much fun. I mean, you get two you get two communities who are within, you know, 5 miles of each other basically, and you put them together inside a building and watch two opposing teams play. I mean, it's it gets intense in those games, and we're very much looking forward to it at Sugar Salem coming up on Friday. And I know that Paul Kingsbury and myself are looking forward to that St. Mary's at Kellogg brawl for the ball on Saturday as you're taking a look at their food donations as they ask for canned food for a canned food drive. And I believe it was, what, 15,000 pounds or something like that of food that they were looking to donate this week, and they're already over 5,000. And that eclipses what they got last year with a full week to go prior to that and as far as an atmosphere goes um, where you get the students on the floor and I mean they were doing tug of war dance off competitions um, they were cheering back and I mean it was the loudest gym I've ever been a part of last year when it was at St. Mary's so we'll see if Kellogg uh, can live up to the high expectations that the brawl for the ball is set for us here at idahosports.com we are looking forward to that well you got to uh, announce our Sven's 10 here for the second week in a row as last week we unveiled our first list and also our boys and girls basketball performances of the week. So Matt and myself will go back and forth here talking about uh, some of these as we'll start with Highland star McKenna Baker dropping 30 points on two different occasions last week in a Highland win over Thunder Ridge. She scored 30 points and then she also followed that up with 34 in a 64-58 loss at Century. That was a game that you were at. Really just seems like that Ram offense runs right through Baker and she's awfully effective. Uh, she shot a high percentage in that ball game and her teammates did a good job of finding her but also she did a good job of finding her teammates as well. It wasn't just that they'd feed McKenna the ball the whole time and that'd be it. You know, she'd shoot it and that was the end of the possession. She made sure she found her teammates and got them involved in the offense. And re- she really, she was the reason they were still in the ball game, but her teammates also stepped up as well. Century just had a little bit more that night. As for the next one, as Sadie Groning also lit up the nets for uh, Soda Springs. She had 41 points on Wednesday, Wednesday night in a 69-46 win over Bear Lake. She hit seven three-pointers on the night. Uh, Soda Springs, undefeated. Watch out for them in the state tournament. They are a tough, tough basketball team. I don't even know if I can count as high as their uh, win streak goes. I think the last time I counted it was, what, 36? you got to do some math between years in order to come up with the total there. It's it's pretty incredible, and uh, you can bet they'll be at state again this year. They're definitely going to be at state once again. I think their win streak's over 40 now, something crazy like that. 
Oh, over 40. So it's been a while since I counted, apparently. Well, next one on the list here in a 58-44 win over Hagerman on Monday. Hanson sophomore Jonathan Camarillo scored half of the Huskies' points, contributing 29 on the night is the next one that you're going to list off here. Uh, even more points uh, for the Showband kids. Second week in a row we've had a Showband player on the list. So Ethan Chacon made the, made the list last week for Showband. This week, Javis Friday got involved. He had 36 points for the Chiefs, who beat Clark County 77-67. to 67. Uh, Showband, after starting having a long losing streak to start the year, they're starting to figure things out under head coach Tim Wilson, Sven. Yeah, they're starting to get those wins, which is uh, nice to see for them. They had been held winless prior to last week, and now they've had couple of performers with absolutely huge games, Nathan Chacon excuse me, and Javis Friday. Well, in order to hold off an impressive effort from Teton, Sugar Salem needed a big game from Macy Knapp, who delivered by dropping 27 on the Redskins. The Diggers relied on Knapp in a big way late as she scored 11 points in the last three minutes of game action. Wow, that's, that's quite a bit. Uh, to be able to have that much. But, hey, uh, that, that Mountain Rivers Conference, it's tough this year. Anyone can win in that conference. So kudos to Sugar for being able to pull it out and Macy Knapp uh, having the outburst that she did. 27, especially 11 in the final moments. That's huge, Sven. Another person who had a big outburst was Jazzy Jenkins of Emmett. She scored 30 of the 38 total team points for the Huskies in a loss to CUNA on Tuesday. That works out to 79% of the points. That is an incredible amount. Now, you did the math on that one. That is pretty incredible. I saw that, and, you know, I saw that Emmett lost the game badly, but, boy, 30 of the 38 points. I don't think I've ever seen a percentage quite that high. As Shout-out to Jazzy Jenkins of the Emmett Huskies for the big performance in that one on Tuesday. Lakeland sophomore post Katie Ryan put up the unconventional triple-double, 11 points, 16 rebounds, and 11 block shots. The Hawks defeated Moscow on the road. It's their first win at Moscow since the 2011 season. That's a big win, and that's uh, those are Rudy Gobert-like numbers right there. Good company. No doubt about it. Uh, as for Lewiston's Donovan Santana caught fire to the tune of 31 points, including five triples in a 78-54 blowout of Sandpoint. Santana also had six steals and five rebounds, so very well-rounded offensively and defensively, Sven. Filled up the stat sheet in a lot of ways. Braden Stapleton of Deary, 29 points, and Evan Jackson of Clearwater Valley, 28 points. Both put up big totals and wins over Kendrick and Kamii, respectively, on Tuesday in district hoops action, so a couple of White Pine League performers having big nights. And, of course, the list would not be complete without an update on Ryrie basketball star Michael Yer. Uh, second week in a row, he lit up West Jefferson for 37 points in a 64-35 win. Uh, Yer hit five threes on the night, Sven. And so now the last thing left to do here is we release this Sven's 10 list at a write-up on the IdahoSports.com homepage right now. Last thing to do is give the performances of the week. As we'll start with girls basketball, it's Sadie Groning with her 41 points in that 69-46 win over the Bear Lake Bears. So congratulations to Sadie Groning. And then the boys basketball performance of the week is Lewiston's Donovan Santana, the 31 points, six steals, and five rebounds in a 24-point win for Lewiston against Sandpoint. So we'll continue to do this each week as you can also see our honorable mentions list on the IdahoSports.com homepage. But just so much fun to see what this state has to offer as far as the talent. We talked about the commitments earlier for various sports, and I think we're going to see a lot of basketball commitments as well with some of these numbers we're seeing. I would think so as well, and I, I, I think that 
Uh, I mean, you're going to probably hopefully see some great performances in the district and state tournaments coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun to see here over the course of the next uh, five weeks or so, whatever it is, until uh, basketball season comes to a close, just to see the talent that we have here at the state. And here's the thing is, you know, you get to the state tournament, we may not see some of that talent at the state tournament if, if it's, you know, a few teams don't make it. But you'll see it certainly showcase over the course uh, of the district tournaments and more. It's a great time of year, and we have a lot of talented student-athletes here in Idaho. So Sadie Grinding of Soda Springs and Donovan Santana of Lewiston are our basketball performances of the week. That'll do it for us here on the Idaho Sports PrepCast, presented by Project Filter, our co-host this week, has been Matt Harris. For everybody else behind the scenes at IdahoSports.com, my name's Sven Helscock saying so long until next time.